You can get this full audiobook for free on Amazon, by clicking on the link in the description. Is brought to you, by the book guide. Boot Hill released its boys one by one. Jody was excited when she hosed down some artifacts from one of the trenches and came across her first remains. Professor Carmine told her that the little flute of bone in her hand most likely belonged to a raccoon or other small animal. The secret graveyard redeemed her. Jody found it while wandering the grounds in search of a cell signal. Her professor backed up her hunch, on account of the irregularities at the Boot Hill site. All those fractures and cratered skulls, the rib cages riddled with buckshot. If the remains from the official cemetery were suspicious, what had befallen those in the unmarked burial ground? Two days later, cadaver-sniffing dogs and radar imaging confirmed matters. No white crosses. No names. Just bones waiting for someone to find them. They called this a school, Professor Carmine said. You can hide a lot in an acre, in the dirt. One of the boys or one of their relatives tipped off the media. The students had a relationship with some of the boys at that point. After all the interviews, the boys reminded them of crotchety uncles and flinty characters from their old neighborhoods, men who might soften once you got to know them, but never lost that hard center. The archaeology students told the boys about the second burial site, told the family members of the dead kids they'd dug up, and then a local Tallahassee station dispatched a reporter. Plenty of boys had talked of the secret graveyard before, but as it had ever been with Nickel, no one believed them until someone else said it. The national press picked up the story, and people got their first real look at the reform school. Nickel had been closed for three years, which explained the savagery of the grounds and the standard teenage vandalism. Even the most innocent scene, a mess hall or the football field, came out sinister. No photographic trickery necessary. The footage was unsettling. Shadows crept and trembled at the corners, and each stain or mark looked like dried blood as if every image caught by the video rig emerged with its dark nature exposed. The nickel you could see going in, and then the nickel you couldn't see coming out. If that happened to the harmless places, what do you think the haunted places looked like? Nickel boys were cheaper than a dime a dance and you got more for your money, or so they used to say. In recent years, some of the former students organized support groups, reuniting over the Internet and meeting in diners and McDonald's, around someone's kitchen table after an hour's drive. Together they performed their own phantom archaeology, digging through decades and restoring to human eyes the shards and artifacts of those days. Each man with his own pieces. He used to say, I'll pay you a visit later the wobbly stairs to the schoolhouse basement, the blood squished between my toes and my tennis shoes, 
reassembling those fragments into confirmation of a shared darkness. If it is true for you, it is true for someone else, and you are no longer alone. Big John Hardy, a retired carpet salesman from Omaha, maintained a website for the Nickel Boys with the latest news. He kept the others apprised on the petition for another investigation and how the statement of apology from the government was coming along. A blinking digital widget kept track of the fundraising for the proposed memorial. Email Big John the story of your nickel days, and he'd post it with your picture. Sharing a link with your family was a way of saying, this is where I was made. An explanation and an apology. The annual reunion, now in its fifth year, was strange and necessary. The boys were old men now, with wives and ex-wives and children they did or didn't talk to, with wary grandchildren who were brought around sometimes and those whom they were prevented from seeing. They had managed to scrape up a life after leaving Nickel.